0: All right, well, uh, all the children from 6 to 12, uh, yes, sir. Yes, we are going to do communion. You want to stay for communion? Awesome. Let's do that. Uh, We'll do that. uh, We'll do that first. As a matter of fact, Uh, we'll go ahead and take care of that. Gentlemen, if you will, um, if you'll grab those, I want to, speaking of communion, you're going to get your first sermon. Uh, everybody say communion. Communion. All right, I want to show you what these words, what the, what the word, excuse me, means. Break it up for you in case you've never caught this. I know I've talked about it before, but just in case you've never really seen this. The word common, you see that? two words, just derived of two words, common, union. Everybody say common. common, union. This is why he says, this is my body. Okay, it's a picture and this is my blood. It's a picture, it's actually incarnation language. It's incarnation language. You are what you eat. <laughs> What you eat? Okay. Now, before we take it up, I've got a little something else I'm going to share with you. But um, if you would bless it, uh, if y'all would go ahead and begin to pass the the bread around, uh, and then we're gonna I'm gonna read a passage. Of course, a very popular passage as it relates to this. Bless you, sir. Yeah. It's just the spirit. You're just feeling it this morning. Matthew twenty six. Uh, if you got your Bible, Matthew twenty six, verse twenty six. Thank you, sir. Through twenty eight. Now these have eleven in them, don't they? Do these have Now that's good. That's a good thing. Do these have eleven? These are risen, right? These a little bit. Oh, let me do this. Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I'll do it again, just in case. Again, you weren't here before. You know, we've always normally, you know, growing up, always, we always had the little little bread, like little wafers, like white, little flat, because they, they had no leaven in them. Um, because the, the bread that they would have taken uh, was unleavened bread. Okay, but the reason why the bread was unleavened was because leaven is a representation of sin, if you don't know that. Um, and at that time when Jesus took the unleavened bread... The bread had not yet risen. He that knew no sin became leavened, which ultimately led to his resurrection. The bread of life has now risen. So I actually prefer to take leavened bread. you hear me? Because I celebrate the fact that he is no longer in the tomb, and we are no longer made in a fallen Adam, born of a fallen Adam, but reborn of a resurrected Christ. Amen? Is that good? I celebrate the fact that he has risen. Do y'all celebrate the fact that he has risen? All right, so um, let me read this now as they were eating Jesus took bread and after he blessed it he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this of my body this is my body and when he had taken a cup and given them thanks he gave it to them so if you will take the take the bread father we thank you that uh, your body was broken for us Father, we recognize and we understand that this day marks the day that you resurrected out of the tomb. And we thank you, Father, that when your body was broken, it wasn't just your body, Father, it was us. We were a part of everything that happened in you. It was union, common union. We have entered into a place of union. With the Father and the Son and the Spirit, there is no separation. There is no distance. All lives of separation and distance have been canceled out in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He became one with us. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we are thankful that today we celebrate the fact that your body was broken, wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon you, and by your stripes we were made whole. In Jesus' name, so and right now, if you would just begin to just recognize again the fact that this this is a representation of His body, if you would take it with me, gentlemen, if you could begin to pass out the wand. It's beautiful because, again, it's a representation of the partaking over the consuming of his flesh, not Adam's. Did you hear that? It's the partaking or the consuming of his flesh, not Adam's, and of his blood, not Abel's. Amen. 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 we do this in remembrance of him is because it's a reminder not just of what he did for us but of what he did as us again that's why it's communion common union and why you eat the bread and you drink the cup because it's you literally becoming one it's this oneness language and he's trying to help you understand do this in remembrance of me but not just so that you remember me and what I did for you but what I did as you and you because of what I have done as you have been now made unified have been brought into oneness with me. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about y'all but I am thankful. Yes. Man, I am thankful that we share in that same union. Alright, now he went on and said, Give them the cup and gave thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood. This is my blood of the new covenant, the better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is poured out for many as an atonement for the forgiveness of sins. If you will take the cup and drink it with me. Thank you Jesus, <laughs> yes, sir. I say Please, yes, sir. Uh, I an uh, a couple of decades ago, God healed me of that. But anyhow, when we went through it, we the Lord's. So I had communion every day. Nothing to say that you can't take communion at all. Right, that's right. You can take it every day. That's right. Absolutely. Because, and again, I think that reminder, that reminder that by his stripes, we were healed. And it's reminding yourself of the reality that by his stripes, you were healed. It's a foregone conclusion. It's a done deal. You don't know nothing else. The payment's been made. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Can y'all just thank him right now? Just come on, lift your hands all over the room. Begin to love on him and thank him. Come on. Yeah, come on. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? He's good. Yeah. Just the same people. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. No matter what, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what Brother Kenny's talking about. No matter what, regardless of what happened, that was his. That was his answer, guys. Thank y'all so much. Can y'all give them a hand and tell them thank you? Um. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So. A lot of times this time of year, I, I tend to kind of bring up the story of Barabbas. You know, Barabbas is a very interesting story. Um, and it's actually a... Uh, I'm sorry, all the children, yeah, 6 to 12. <laughs> Kill with Jesse. Awesome. Um, really interesting story about Barabbas because, you know, Barabbas actually means son of the father. And... uh Oh, I'm sorry. Lord, have mercy. I'm just, I'm all, I'm all over the place this morning, y'all. Y'all just have to forgive me. By the way, y'all take this in because this is probably one of the last times y'all are going to see me wearing a tie for a while. So my, well, thank you. My papa used to could not stand wearing ties. And now I know as the older I get, I'm, I'm about the same way. So y'all just take it in. So, because this will probably be the one of the last times y'all see this in a long time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and shift into, uh, also before I go into the message, and uh, offering. So if you do need an envelope, just slip your hand up. Um, we'll go ahead and get, get that done, take, taken care of. Uh, if you did not, again, have already grabbed one, uh, we also do have the uh, opportunity to give online. You can give also by text. Uh, a lot of people, again, are doing that now. So we do thank you for your giving, your faithfulness in giving. Um, it's uh, it's blessed to give. Amen? amen. For God so loved the world, he you're going to always hear me revert back to that because giving should always be a byproduct of a revelation of love. Uh, for God so loved, he gave. So giving is, is, should be birthed out of, out of this place of love because we love, we want to give. That's just you know, that's what I, anyway, my children are spoiled rotten and uh, it's because, again, I, you know, I don't do it to earn. I do it because I just love them. Amen. So uh, let's just take this time and pray over the offering father, the tithe and the offering father. We thank you for this opportunity again to give into your kingdom. Um, we don't we don't treat any moment lightly where we're able to show worth to you to as an expression of worship because you're so worth it. Well, we do it because, again, we love you. you. You said you love a cheerful giver, not a fearful one. We don't want to do anything out of fear. We, we want to give purely because we love. Because, again, we know that our Father is a giver. You're a giver because you love. And so, again, we want to do everything we can to reflect your heart in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity again. We bless you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. And go ahead and take that up. Thank you. Appreciate you guys reminding me. Once I step up here, I just get into a zone. So, when I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone. Um, But Barabbas is a, again, he's a very, it's a very interesting story. And if you go back into Numbers, uh, Numbers actually uh, speaks of uh, a situation where it talks about that if, um, well, trying to remember the the way they put it, it actually means kinsman redeemer, but uh, the Avenger of Blood refers to the Avenger of Blood. So, but the Avenger of Blood actually means kinsman redeemer, and it refers to the fact that if someone is killed, if you if someone kills another person uh, by using uh, wood, uh, metal, steel, or rock, uh, that that person is to be uh, they are condemned basically of of murder. Um, and uh, it talks about the process they have to go through. But it goes on and it says, But if one kills another, and it is not with intent, if one throws a stone, and it hits someone on accident, basically, and it kills them, that person is not held. Uh, it's not held against them, and they will have to go before um, the people, and they will stand with the avenger of blood, on a, basically like on a platform, and the people will stand below them. And and the Bible goes on and it says, in Numbers, it says, and they will choose the murderer. They'll pick the murderer. This is why nothing shocked Jesus. Jesus knew the whole time they were going to pick Barabbas. It was a picture. It was a representation. Old Testament type representation of that which was to come. Interesting though, the Bible says, if you use three things, you're guilty of sin. You're guilty of murder. Wood, Metal and stone, wood, metal, nails, and the rock, which must have been believed that's what they nailed the, the nails through with his hands and feet. This is why when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, what was the rest of it? If one kills another and it is not with intent, it is not held against them. So this is what he was trying to tell. This is what he was saying to every one of you, even though you deserved it, even though you did it, even though you use these things that the Bible says you're condemned to death. I don't hold it against you. I forgive you. All of them. Everyone. Isn't that awesome? It's good stuff. So, All right. Again, that was just was that second sermon? After communion, that was the second one? That one was because of Kenny. So Kenny, that's your fault. You. you reminded me of that. But no, thank you. I appreciate it. I want to show you guys something. Um, I saw, you ever, has anybody ever seen this painting? Anybody ever seen this? I, um, I saw this the other day. Uh, somebody was talking about this, and I thought it was a really interesting story. And um, if you look at the painting, you have, uh, you know, you have Satan over here. And uh you have this gentleman over here. The name of the, the painting is uh is checkmate. And uh it pictures Satan in a chess match with this gentleman, and he uh the, the picture basically paints this picture, uh, it paints an image of of this of Satan winning. Uh that's, that's why he called it Checkmate. So if you look at the man over here, he's distraught, it looks like it's It's done, it's over for him, you know, it's... Anyway, there's no hope. It paints this picture of hopelessness. But uh, this thing I saw the other day, it said that there was a gentleman, uh, he was in a museum and he was actually on a tour with... uh, There was a special tour that was given to these people and they were champions, like, of different sports and things of that nature. One of the gentlemen that happened to be in this tour was a a world chess champion. And uh, so he's walking by this painting and it really catches his attention you know being that he's world class chess champion whatever they're called i don't know nothing about chess and so he just stops and he's just looking at this painting and the rest of the tour goes on and they notice that he wasn't with them so the tour guide goes back and he says, "Hey," he said. Uh, you know, we're we're moving on to the next, you know, the next painting and stuff. He said, I, "You know, if you didn't you know if you want to stay with us or what was going on." He said, "Well, yeah." He said, "I was just really," he said, "I was really focused on this painting." He said, "Because you know," he said, "I'm a world class, I'm a world, you know, I'm the world uh, chess champion," and uh, he said, uh, "Something in in, it, in this painting really caught my attention." He said, "I've really been observing it," and uh, he said, "You know, being that that's what I do," uh, he said, "You know, I, I know most people probably wouldn't catch what i what I'm what I'm looking at." And uh, so the guy doing the tour, he said, well, well what, what is it that, uh, what are you seeing? And the guy told him, he said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, As the more I look at it, the closer I'm looking. He said, I, I think you guys are going to have to change the name of the painting. Or you're going to have to uh, add something into the painting, he said, because it's not, exa- not at all what you think. And the gentleman was kind of stunned. He said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, again, being that I I do this for a living, he said, I got to observing the board. And the more that I observed the board, the more I realized that the gentleman over here, that the king still had one more move on the table. The king still had one more move. When it looked hopeless, what he's trying to help you, you're hearing this? The king still had one more move. And more than likely, the person that actually painted this knew that. He strategically put that in there. It looks hopeless. It looks like he's done. But really, the king still has another move. That move was Jesus. That move was the cross. When everything looked hopeless, when mankind was totally at a place of feeling like there was no way out, Even on Saturday. Have you ever thought about... Everybody celebrates Good Friday. Everybody celebrates Resurrection Sunday. But what about Saturday? Have you all ever thought about it? Somebody... I read this and I love what they said. They said that God does His best work in the dark. God does His best work in the dark. They went on and said this, that often regarded in my youth as a mere recess in the atonement, Holy Saturday has come to minister deeply in my heart. It is the clearest example of the fact that while we sit in an empty void of grief, in the gray of despair, and in the apparent silence of utter and complete defeat, when we can neither see nor understand the plan of God in our lives, and when we have abandoned all hope, that God is actively working wonders on our behalf from beyond the cold and the dark of the grave. While His body laid in state, On this day, talking about Saturday, Jesus was far from occupied. Only heaven will tell the miracles that happened while the tomb was still sealed. The snatching of the keys of death, the liberation of the captive souls, the harrowing of hell, the bankrupting of the serpent, and the thunderous crash of the stock market of sin. The first Adam beholding the last, the prophets and the seers of old watching the fulfillment of their every hope, and God knows what only else. All this while, the murmurers yet mourned, let today comfort the aching of your heart and remind you that God is still at work, even and especially when you cannot see it. Even especially when you cannot see it. I don't really think sometimes we understand the magnitude again of what happened you know, even on that Saturday. But from the outside looking in, you know, it looked hopeless. It did. I mean, every you know, he's, he's still in the grave. I mean, it looked looked like this was it. And so I will tell you this, no matter how it looks from the outside looking in, even in your life, I will promise you God's at work. There's things going on. There's things going on behind the scenes. And there is no... Listen to me. Giving up is not an option. Everybody say this. Say, giving up is not an option. You ever been through a dark place? Anybody ever been through a dark place? Yeah. God does his best work in the dark. Okay, I got to say this. I had this revelation the other day, y'all. I'll just have these little random revelations and I'll just write them down. Most of the time it's really early in the morning. But um, I feel like it's just me and the Holy Spirit up because everybody else is still asleep. I used to say that darkness, the purpose of light was to expose darkness. Anybody ever had that idea? I mean, if you stop and you think about it, I mean, that's, that's kind of an ignorant statement because Light doesn't expose darkness. How can light expose darkness? So if Once you shine the light, there's no more darkness. So how can it expose it? Just use your brains for a second. We don't have to get deep theological here. Let's just, everybody's got common sense. Everybody got, got common sense? We still have that in the, in the world today? Not, not much of it, right? Okay, let's use, some, let's use some common sense. If I shine light where there's darkness, I'm not exposing darkness. I'm expelling it. Light doesn't expose darkness. It dispels darkness and reveals what the darkness once kept hidden. This is good. All right, so Holy Spirit was talking to me about this the other day. This is the purpose of light. This is why we are the light of the world. The purpose of being the light of the world is not to expose darkness. It's actually to where darkness leaves and where people are able to behold what the darkness once kept hidden from them. The truth of their design. The truth that the Father loves them. The truth that they're not separate. They're not distant. He's not angry at them. He's not mad at them. The reason why they have fallen into the delusion that they've fallen into is because they are in a place of darkness where the truth has, now, has been hidden from them. But we as the light are to come and preach the gospel, the good news, shine light, dispel darkness, and they go, Oh my goodness, I didn't know he was that good. You see it? And really, because all right, the common trait, common denominator of every person that ever encountered Jesus, there was one common one common trait: obsession. Everybody say obsession. obsession. They either became so obsessed with him they could not pull them their their heads away from his chest, or away from his feet, or they became so obsessed they would stop at nothing. To drive a nail, or even to the extent of driving a nail through his hands and feet, nails through his hands and feet. They were so obsessed. Either they could not stay away from him because of their love for him, or they were so obsessed they wanted to kill him. But the one common trait was obsession. And I will tell you, if you ever meet him, obsession will be the common trait of every person. And it's like everything else will lose its interest. You'll, you'll lose. You'll just become disinterested. Amen. This is good. Is he good? All right, let's read. Let's read the Bible. I'm going to go to a different passage of Scripture than probably what you're normally used to on an Easter Sunday, but uh, I read this one, Resurrection Sunday. Um, So everybody turn with your Bible, Acts 17, or you can just read it up here either way. I I like, um, I appreciate The digital world, in some ways, but I still like having my paperback Bibles. It's just me. (laughs) All right. Acts 17 22. So Paul, standing in the center of the uh, Aeropagus, I guess is how you would say that. I have no idea. We're just going to go with that. Said, Men of Athens, I observe with every turn I make throughout the city. You are very religious and devout in all respects. Now, we talked about the word religion. The word religion means return to bondage. Okay. And it goes on and he says this. Now, I was, as I was going along and carefully looking at your objects of worship, I came to an altar with this, uh, with this inscription to an unknown God. To an unknown God. Therefore, What you already worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Some translations might say who. But the reality of it is the whole point is this. They had this inscription on one of the altars to the unknown God. The God who created the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. This was so that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grasp for him him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, here's the very popular passage that we are all pretty much familiar with. In him, we live, we move, we exist. That is, in him, we actually have our being. Now, I want you to stop for a second. Everybody look at me real quick. I want you to think about the context of this verse. I want you to think about who he's talking to. Who is he talking to in this crowd? Are these believers? Mm -mm, No, these are not believers. Are are they Jews? Mm -mm, No, these aren't Jews. He's in Athens. Gentiles, pagans. And I want you to look at what he's telling them. Now, see, this popular passage of Scripture that we can all quote, in him we live, we, and we have our, is right here. And the way it comes about is when he's talking to a bunch of pagans. These are not believers. These are not Jews. These are pagans. In Athens. And this is what he tells them. Go back, look at the first part. This was so that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He is including them in this from each one of us. Us is inclusive. It's all of us. Remember what he's doing to them. He's preaching. Now remember, Paul said this one time also. He said, uh, he revealed himself, referring to his, again, his conversion. He revealed himself in me that I might preach him to the heathen. But the word to there is not to, it's in. It's the same word that he said when he said he revealed him in me. So he actually says in the original transcripts, he would have said I reve- he revealed himself in me that I might preach him in the heathen. I'm trying to help the heathen understand that he's near and he's close and he's not unknown. Boy, you know, it makes you wonder had we actually preached the true gospel for years it makes you wonder how many people wouldn't still be walking around in darkness. You hearing this? I'm not. I mean, everybody. Is everybody with me? You you do understand again? You're you're looking. He's not, guys. He's not writing this to the Church of Corinth of people that are already believers. You get that? Okay. Make sure everybody understands. And this is what he's telling them: for in him we who's we what's he doing again? He's making this what inclusive? Who's we? All. Everybody say all. All right. He died for one, one, once and for? Okay? And move and exist, that is, in him we actually have our being. Who? Everyone. All. And what he's trying to help them understand is guys, listen to me. This God that you believe is unknown, this God you believe that is distant, you don't even realize because you're, you're over here worshiping idols. And 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 all that, but but he's trying to help them understand. You said, you know, the reason why you're doing all that is because inside of you, you know, there's really there is a God, and this is why he says the law has been written upon our hearts, that no man is without excuse. You see it now, and he's showing them. He's trying to help them. In Him, we all live and we move and we. Can anybody? Let me do this again. Can anybody exist outside of God? What about an atheist? Can they exist outside of God? If they could, they would be a God. Can Satan exist outside of God? If so, he would be a God. Now what I'm trying to help you understand again is how big your God really is. Nothing and no one can exist outside of him because in him we live We move and we have our being. Even if they don't know it. To the unknown God. And he's using that as leverage in this situation. To help them understand he is close and he's near. Just because you don't know him doesn't mean that he's not near you. Because he's actually as close as your next breath. Isn't this awesome? All right, just trying to help y'all understand how amazing he is. That's all, okay? Just just trying to help you see it. All right, now look as some of our now look at this. Uh, for in him we live and have our being. Okay, as even some of your own poets have said. For we also are his children. So then, being God's children, <coughs> we should not think that the divine nature the divine deity. Look at this. And again, he's using the word we. This is inclusive. Should not think that the divine nature deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination or skill of man. Therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance when we didn't know. But now he commands all people Look at this. He commands all people everywhere to change the way they think. That is to change their old way of thinking. That's why you see that in the brackets there. That is the correct definition. To regret their past sins and to seek God's purpose for their lives. Because he has set a day, look at this, when he will judge the inhabited world in righteousness. By a man. Who's that man? Jesus. Whom he has appointed and destined for that task. And he has provided credible proof to everyone. By raising him from the dead. Paul says one time. Do you not know? Everybody say, do you not know? You were baptized into his death. Baptized into his death. Common union. Who was baptized into his death? When he says, do you not know you were baptized into his death? Who's you? Everyone, including the people he's talking to in Athens. All humanity. This is the message of the gospel. And this is what he's telling them. Know it or not. This unknown God. Know this or not. I'm here to help you understand what this unknown God has done for you. That even though you didn't know him. He knew you. And he baptized you into his death. Here's the reality though. Here's the thing. Here's the key. Do you not know? Watch. The problem is they don't know it. Darkness blinds them to the truth. All right, let me ask you a question. Does truth become truth the day you discover it? It's always been. The day you became unveiled to the truth of who he was wasn't the day that truth became truth. It was just the day that that truth was made open and unveiled to you. A person that is living in darkness, the reality of the truth that there's still a beloved son that that was baptized into his death is still true. The problem is they're living a lie in opposition to the truth of their original design, which is that they were created in him before the foundations of the world were ever formed, Ephesians 1. They just don't know it. Y'all hearing this? Is this good? This is the gospel. I'm I'm, I'm doing this because I want you to see the importance of why the gospel is so important. And where we've missed this. Because what we should... All right, all right, all right, all right. We're going to take a couple rabbit trails. I'm, at Target, I'm walking in the Target parking lot the other day, you know, where Target is and TJ Maxx and all that area is over there. And there's a gentleman, sometimes you've got there on a Sunday, you'll see him, he's got a speaker, and he goes out there and he preaches. Y'all, y'all heard this? Okay. But um, I've noticed, it's interesting, I, I see people just walking by and just like ignoring him, and nobody's really talking, listening. They just... Then my question, this question arises inside of me and says, if this was Jesus, how many people would be walking by? Or would people be stopping? It's a very valid question. Let me ask you a question. What, um, I, I, well, okay, let me do this. I had this opportunity of the day. I'm sitting there with this new guy that I'm training at work I was telling Carrie and them about this the other day, and I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm having this, this meal. It was lunch with this new guy uh, this, that just came on, and he's got this guy that he drives around with him. He rides, rides around with him. He's a, he's a disabled veteran, and he loves to just take him out with him just to get him out of the house. And he said, it's just, you know, it's just good for him. You know, it's just good just to get him out. And so he'll just, he'll just let him ride with him, you know, places. And I'm sitting there at this table, and the guy that he's got with him, he said, hey, he said he, he told me you're a pastor. I said, yeah, man. Well, you know, most people have a preconceived idea of what a pastor is mm-hmm. and how they are and whatever. So I always like to really throw in some curveballs. You know, I enjoy that. It's fun. So we get to talking, and uh, we're just going through all, the, all kinds of stuff. I'm telling him how I can't stand religion and what religion really is. And, and this guy actually was raised a Mormon, and uh, so he understands religion. And I said, "Well, that's funny." I said, "Because I'm out doing yard work one day. I got to tell you the story. I don't know if I ever told you. I'm I'm out doing yard work at the house. This was about a year year and a half ago. And um, I'm weed eating. I'm you know doing some work. And these two guys come walking up in their suits and or their or their white shirts and their black ties. And I automatically know. And I'm thinking, how did they find me up here? <laughs> and I was annoyed a little bit at first. I'm being, being transparent. I mean, I'm working. I'm trying to get done. I." I don't have a lot of time as it is to get this stuff done. I, I'm trying to get this stuff out of the way. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hot. And they come walking up. I had to shut my weed eater off. And it's like, Holy Spirit just checked me. And uh, he said, put your weed eater down and talk to him. So I did. So I put my weed eater down. Really nice young man. They asked me, they said, you know, he said, can we do anything to help you with your yard work? I mean, while they're in their ties and their long sleeve shirts. Oh yeah, because morally they kick our tails. This is why, again, when I tell you Christianity is not not about morality, you better listen to me. Because if it's about morality, we're way down here, a lot of us, because morally speaking, there are cults that are better than us. I'm trying to preach something to you. Confess your faults, your sins, one to another. Confess your what? Well, if this is about morality, then how are we doing this? I'm not, I'm not condoning immorality, and I'm not telling you that morality is not important. It is. What I am telling you also is that it was never intended to be the primary objective and the end result and the goal. Jesus is the goal. They'll know you're my disciples by your morals. This is what the Western church created, y'all. Actually, it goes back further than that. It really goes all the way back to Catholicism. This is what we did. what well, what he did. They'll know you're my by your good morals. No. They'll know you're my again by your... Right. So when you fail morally, you lift each other up. You, don't give up. you don't give up on each other. You encourage each other. You don't abandon each other. And this is how you're going to be the light to the world. Again, because they're going to see such pure love operating within you that they're going to become jealous of that love and go, oh my goodness, I have never seen people like that that refuse to give up on each other because they love each other so deeply. Is that the church you were raised up in? Y'all hearing this? Okay, so morally, they kick our tails. So this is why, again, it's important to understand that just because now, now however, well, all right, I ain't going to go into that. All right, I'm sitting there talking to him. <laughs> I'm sitting there talking to him and I start going through, I said, you know, Mel, I said, well, you know, man, it's, all, it's really just about Jesus, man. And they're like, what? And I said, yeah, it's really just about Jesus. And I said, well, they said, oh, yeah, you know, we all about Jesus. I said, okay, yeah. All about it. And I start going through how everything, you know, everything points to Jesus. So I'm doing exactly what Jesus did to the two fools on the road to Emmaus. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, Jesus walked with two fools. And now here I am standing with two that don't really know who they are. And they don't know the truth of who Jesus is. And so I have a great opportunity to do the same thing to them that he did to the two fools on the road to Emmaus. So beginning with Moses, the law, and the prophets, The books of the prophets and all the scriptures that pointed to himself, he began to show them how everything pointed to him. So that's what I started to do. I started, by the time, y'all, I'm sitting there, I'm talking to these guys, and their mouths are just like, they told me, they said, I didn't know that. You know what was done? By by the time it was done, they didn't even talk to me about Mormonism. They didn't even bring up Joseph Smith. As a matter of fact, this is what they told me before I left. They said, hey, can we come back? Yeah, can we come back sometime and just talk to you? So absolutely. Well, I'm telling this story to this guy and this other guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking them through some of the same stuff. How that it really is about Jesus. And their mouths just fall open. Same thing. And they're like, man, I've never known that. I didn't know that. And did not our hearts burn as He showed to us the sense of the Scriptures? See, when you're preaching Jesus it causes the hearts to ignite and they become obsessed with him. And they say, okay, this is what we've done in the church for so long. We've preached what is truth, but not who." All right, is it true? Right, watch, let me give you an example. It is appointed unto man to die, wants to die, and then to face judgment, right? Is that truth? Yeah, everybody say yeah. Everybody say yes. That is truth. That's not that it's not true. That is true. But the key when I'm preaching the gospel, the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach the who is truth, and then they'll be more open to the what. That is truth. When you encounter the who, are you seeing it? it does. Jesus resurrects from the grave. Finds two people. Or they find him. And what does he preach? What is truth? Or who? Who? Are you? Yeah, Guys, this is not. This... Religion complicates everything. It does. And this is why Paul's sarcastically saying things like, Tell me, you who are bent on the law, you really going to do what it says? He says it sarcastically. Let me tell you, Mr. Lawkeeper, you really going to do it? That's what he says. Because you can't. Because it wasn't about you keeping it, it was about him becoming it. Come on. You hear it? Ah, I get on Jesus and I just get happy, get excited. The Passion Translation says this in Acts 17, 27, 28. He has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live. This is why. For it is through him that we live and function and we have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage, look at this, comes from not Abraham, Not Adam. Him. Jesus. Amen. Since our lineage can be traced back to God. Whoa, whoa. Since our lineage can be traced back to who? How could we even think that the divine image could be compared to something made of gold, silver, stone, sculpted by man's artwork and clever imagination? In the past, God tolerated our ignorance of these things. But now the time of deception has passed away. He commands us all to repent, to turn to God. For the appointed day has risen in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has designated. And the proof given to this world that God has chosen this man is this, that he resurrected him from among the dead. He resurrected him from among the dead. All right. Now, Romans 6, 4 says this. Again, sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried with him. Everybody say co-buried. co-buried. hmm So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. Everybody say we're raised. We're raised. Okay. And have been co-resurrected. We have been co-resurrected. Everybody say co-resurrected. Co-buried. All right. With him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of life. That's union. you co-buried, co-resurrected. And by the way, it didn't stop there. You also co-ascended. That's why Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, He has raised us up and made us to sit with Him in heavenly places. For since we are permanently grafted into Him to experience a death like this, then we are permanently grafted into Him to experience a resurrection like His. Since we are permanently grafted into Him to experience a death like His, then we are permanently grafted into Him to experience a resurrection like His and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Does sin have power over a person that is dead? And Paul says, reckon yourself dead. So if sin can only have power over a person who's living, the reason why this is so important to understand is that he's trying to help you communicate the the reality to you that in him you have died, in him you have resurrected, and because of that you are a new creation. All things have passed away, all things have become new, and now, it had nothing to do with anything you did. It had everything to do with what he did for you as you, and now sin has lost its power, because sin only has power over those who are living. Amen. Amen. Baptism pictures how that we were co buried with Christ in His death. Then it powerfully also illustrates how, in God's mind, we were co raised with Christ into a new lifestyle. You get a chance go read Hosea six two, and do that at your own leisure. Hosea 6, two, It's a prophetic picture of what God would do in Christ for all. We were like seeds planted together in the same soil to be co-quickened to life. If we were included in his death, we are also equally or we are equally included in his resurrection. This is from the mirror. We perceive that our old lifestyle was co-crucified together with him. This concludes that the vehicle that accommodated sin in us was scrapped and rendered entirely useless. Our slavery to sin has come to an end. Okay. I'm just gonna read this for you, and so just kind of bear with me. I, I just wrote this in my notes last night. So there is a difference between the existence of the thing of a thing. Excuse me, there's a difference between the existence of a thing and the dominion of it. Everybody say there is a difference between the existing of a thing and the dominion of it. Sin has lost its dominion. Death has lost its sting. Death or separation was only a result of sin, but now that death stung the wrong or really the right one again, and in doing so, its stinger remained in him, to which ultimately resulted in the death of death itself. Right? So Friday was the day that death died. Separation died. Separation ended. Because death to God is separation. Now we no longer have to fear the death uh, or fear death, for in and through His death, burial, resurrection, He eradicated all fear of separation once and for all. He became sin, thus He became formless, that our original, truth, uh, pre-fallen form would be redeemed and restored. Sin has been rendered powerless. Death has been forever conquered, and a new resurrected life has been given for all to all. We are His offspring, restored, redeemed, and reborn. Today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, but we also celebrate our resurrection, our rebirthing. The lamb was provided by him. The blood was applied by him. The rod, the cross has made a way of deliverance. We've been baptized, the Red Sea, of course, into his death. Egypt, worldly enslavement, a.k.a. also sin, which is empowered by the law, which is empowered by religion, the religious whom Jesus called evil, Poneros. Full of labors, hardships, and annoyances. Hello, children of Israel. Hebrew children labored, annoyed. All of these things that are representations of what would come. Y'all hearing it? Has been drowned. Egypt has been drowned. We've crossed over from death to life, from enslavement to freedom. It's for freedom that he has now set us free. But now what? After all, he's done it. It is truly finished. There is no going back into what he delivered us out of. After all, God told Moses, the Egyptians you see today, you will see them again no more forever. A baby cannot go back into their mother's womb once they've been delivered. No more than a butterfly can return to be in a caterpillar. However, science has proven again that a caterpillar does have the ability to still remember what it was like before he was ever transformed into a a completely new creation. Again, old things have passed away. All things have become new. But do we know it? Do we know the depths of his finished work? I posted this yesterday. That the wilderness is proof that you don't need a Pharaoh to be enslaved. All you need is an unrenewed mind. Right? The wilderness is proof you don't need a Pharaoh to be enslaved. All you need is an unrenewed mind. So, all right, let me let me do this Uh, they're freed in actuality the children of Israel the Hebrew children but yet they're still bound in their mentality they had a promised land waiting on them to possess yet they fell into unbelief not just in what they believed about God but also in what they believed about themselves they sent spies spies into the land To spy on the promise. On the promised land. Surely it's too good to be true. It's probably what they were thinking. You see Jesus is the promised land. He He is the promised land. It's a type of him. The promised land wasn't about geography but typology. It's a type of Jesus. The promise isn't a what but a who. The religious of Christ day spied on him as well. Isn't this interesting? I mean, if you go back and you look at it, I mean, it's exactly what's happening with him. I mean, they're spying on him. Surely this can't be him. I mean, they're, I mean the miraculous is all around him. I mean, a.k.a. children of Israel. I mean, man has fallen from heaven, being led by fire by night, cloud by day. Their clothes aren't wearing out. I mean, they're literally living in the supernatural and yet they fall into unbelief. So obviously supernatural is not enough. The Pharisees are seeing dead rays. They're seeing eyes open. But he's doing it on the wrong day. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? They acknowledge it's happening, but yet they refuse to believe that it's him. They're spying on him to say, you know, trying to find something in him. They couldn't find anything. Even Pilate said, I find no fault. He's blameless. He's perfect. The more you gaze at him, the more you look at him, the more enamored you become by him, the more you begin to realize there's no fault. He's just perfect. He's beautiful. But the more you look at you, the more you get distracted, the more you start feeling like you're unworthy, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you're not qualified enough, But will lead you right into a place of delusionment. An alignment with an inferior reality. And you'll fall into deception. Where you believe the lie of separation. Of distance. Do this in remembrance of me. But not just in remembrance of me. But also in remembrance of who you are in me. don't forget this is what he was telling them I'm about to go away so every time you take this bread and you drink this cup I want you to remember that I'm in you and you're in me and we're one and you're not eating of the flesh of a fallen Adam you're eating of the flesh of a resurrected one come on right Come on, y'all hearing this? You're not you're not you're not eating, you're not drinking of the blood of Abel. You're drinking of the blood of a resurrected Jesus. Is this good? Come on, man. I'm thankful. All right. About to have to make y'all get up and do a dossi do I feel like y'all getting y'all were real quiet on me this morning. <laughs> the promise again is not a what, but a who. They spied on him in his day, questioning him, questioning themselves as well because of that. Seeing him and themselves through a distorted, foggy lens and religion is still spying on him today. Questioning his goodness, refusing to believe the simplicity of the gospel. Surely he didn't really mean what he said when he said it's finished. Surely we didn't really actually die with him in his death, resurrected with him in his resurrection or ascended with him in his ascension. Surely there's something else we must do to add to what he's already done Right? This is the mentality. It's like maybe it wasn't enough. But I got news for you, it was. It really is finished. Surely there must be some form of contingency. But gospel with contingency isn't gospel at all, isn't gospel at all. Because Jesus is the contingency. His blood was the contingency. The cross was the contingency. Surely he can't be this good. It's not coincidence, guys that 10, the number of the law of the spies who brought back the bad report died. Ten's the number of law. Because the law couldn't obtain the promise. Hello. These things aren't in there by accident. Nothing in the Bible is there by accident. He's trying to help you understand. You're not going to do this. All right, I'm just just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. The law couldn't possess the promise. The letter of the law kills. Cursed is everyone under the law. That's what Paul says. For God has done what the law could not do. That's what Paul says. The stone, the type of the law, has been rolled away. Man couldn't remove it. Man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. But now that the stone, the law, has been removed, we now behold the empty tomb, the finished work of the one to whom the law once concealed. The stone. Now, it has been made known. Unveiled. He has been unveiled. To look upon the items in the ark that were all a type of the law in order to do so, you would have to remove the mercy seat. Did you catch it? you hear that? To be able to gaze in the ark of the things that typed or type representation of the law, in order to do it, you'd have to remove the mercy seat. The mercy seat concealed it in the same way Christ, the law, fulfilled it. And it was concealed in him. I'll tell you as God God told Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to him. Not them. Not Moses. Y'all notice that? When he said listen to him, he doesn't say listen to them. Let me paint a picture for (laughs) y'all. Peter. Jew of Jews. Is encountering one of the most amazing things a jew could ever think of encountering he is literally seeing moses and elisha and jesus jesus is illuminating i want you to imagine again what is happening in peter this is why he starts to frantically be like should i should i build an altar what do I need to do? Because any time something like this happens, the question is always, what do I need to do? And God tells him what he needs to do. He comes over him in the cloud. This is my son. Says it again. Whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, not them him because the only significance of them was that they pointed to him but now that he's here no you don't build an altar for them you sit and you look at him and you get enamored by him because that's my boy whom I'm well pleased I didn't say that about Moses and I didn't say it about Elisha but I do say it about him you're all enamored about the law. He's, you understand that Moses is the representation of the law. Elisha is the representation of the prophets. This is not complicated. This is so right there in our face. And he's trying to help us understand. He's telling Peter, what is your deal? You're still fascinated by the law. And you're still fascinated by the prophets. And I'm telling you, neither matter at all. Because they only led to him. Do you see it? Come on. Y'all get it? The only significance of them was him. Somebody asked me. They said, well, do you believe really that everything pointed to Jesus? Well, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to make you ask this question. Now, I'm going to give you a brain cramp. A brain cramp. You ready? Is Jesus God? Anybody want to commit heresy and say no? Right? Okay. Jesus is God. Everybody agree? Yes. Okay. Is all Scripture God-breathed? That's what the Bible says, right? Okay. Would all Scripture, being that it is breathed by God, not point to God? Would all Scripture, being that it is God-breathed, not point to God? Would anybody say that any Scripture does not point to and glorify God? So all scripture points to Jesus because Jesus is God. You're still separating them because you still see through a dualistic lens that Greek told you to do. That Greek philosophy told you to do. Yes, all scripture points to Jesus because Jesus is God. Amen. Thank you, sir. Look, I'm going to tell you again. If the only thing a person can fault me in is the fact that I'm too obsessed with Jesus, cool, I'll eat that cookie any day. You can bake that one and I'll eat it any day. Because I know one good thing. When I stand before him on that day, he's not going to look at me and say, well, you were way too obsessed with me. (laughs) You loved me too much. You were pointing people too much to me. You were glorifying me too much. You made them stop looking at them and looked at me. Hey, see, isn't it amazing how when you really just stop and breathe and actually think for a second, you'll go, wow, that's a good point. Guys, you can never make it too much about Jesus, but anything else is too much. It's too much. Y'all hearing this? I just love him. He's amazing. Isn't he amazing? All right. The son in whom the father is well pleased. The only, again, the only significance of them, uh, them was to lead you to him. Look to him. Moses was able, by the way, to go into the promised land eventually. <laughs> See, he's standing. Y'all don't know if y'all ever saw I love these kind of things. I love these kind of things. Moses is standing in the promised land. At this point. But the only way he could get there is when the promise came. His only access to getting in the promised land that God said one time, You can't go. You can't go. The only way he could go is when the promise came. And he is standing there beholding the promise. And he says, now you can get there, but the only way you're gonna get there is when my beloved son comes. Is that cool? Man, that's awesome. I got two more slides if y'all can bear with me. Y'all can bear with me. About to ask you like Jesus asked the disciples. Just bear could you bear with me? Just, Just a little longer. We cannot exaggerate his finished work. But we most, most certainly can underestimate it. The danger is not in exaggerating what Christ accomplished in his finished work, but rather in underestimating and diminishing the fullness of it. If innocence cannot be redeemed, then redemption would be incomplete. I posted this on the, on the, uh, res- on, on the church's page, and I sent it out uh, For Resurrection Sunday. I checked it this morning. Over a thousand people. uh, It reached over a thousand people. Had over 130 likes. And then comments and stuff. Here's the point I'm trying to tell you is this. All I care about is the gospel being preached. And all I care about is that when people hear this and they listen to it. They go, oh my goodness, he really is this beautiful. Y'all hearing this? Yes, sir. Absolutely it is. <laughs> Absolutely. If innocence cannot be redeemed, then redemption would be incomplete. What made your redemption complete is that your innocence was fully recovered, restored, and redeemed. He redeemed it, he redeemed it all, and it is truly finished. I no, now, no longer know anyone according to the flesh. Everybody say, I no longer know anyone according to the flesh. Have you ever stopped and say, Lord, and thought about that? I no longer now, I don't know anyone according to the flesh anymore. You see, the original sin wasn't eating the fruit. The original sin was believing the law of separation and other than this. The tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, the awareness, the consciousness of good and evil, the I am not tree, the tree of delusionment, the belief that, he has held back or hidden a part of himself from you so that you wouldn't see it. No, he kept it from you that you wouldn't be blinded. Every high place the Bible says will be made lower or has been made low. Every crooked place has been made straight. Even the question marks have now become exclamation marks. Christ has done it all. The reason why we no longer know anyone according to the flesh is because the flesh is not the truth of who they are. He is the truth of who they are. This is what he's preaching in Athens. To the unknown God, you may not know him, but he knows you. Come on, man. Is that good? Love it. Love him. Jesus didn't come to establish another dead religion. Another form of bondage disguised as faith. He didn't come to compete with Muhammad, Buddha, or even Moses. He came to exhibit the true nature and the character of the Father, to unveil the truth of our original design, which is innocence. To become the firstborn of many brethren of the same womb, a redeemed womb, an innocent womb. It's the treasure that was hidden in, the earth, in earthen vessels. A treasure, by the way, you know what I find myself? I think this is interesting. I just have to stop right here. I think it's interesting how we, we so oftentimes get more distracted by the earthen vessel that houses the treasure more than what we do the treasure that is housed by the vessel. Guys, it's not about the vessel, the earthen vessel that houses the treasure. It's about the treasure. Yeah. This is why I no longer know anyone according to the flesh. The flesh is merely housing the treasure. But when I look at you, I don't see, the, I don't see what's housing it. I see the treasure itself, even if you can't see it. Amen? Amen? I'm going to tell y'all something. Have y'all ever had some people that really make you want to look at them according to the flesh? No. Come on. Anybody? How about yourself? Sometimes you want to do it yourself. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. It's uh, another minister, and we were just talking about some things. It's actually Brother Seriously. Call Seriously. He said to tell you, hey, Brother Gil and Sister D, said to tell you hey. And uh, we were just discussing some things. And I told him, I said, you know, he asked me something. I forgot exactly what it was, but I told him, I said, you know, I don't, I don't believe that I get to choose when to be Jesus. And things in life, you, you, you better, like, okay. When I tell you these things, I'm not telling you just to tell you. I'm telling you because I really firmly believe what I'm telling you. You can't get distracted by the flesh. You can't get distracted by what people are doing or what happens. Even yourself. Look at me. Even yourself. It's okay. It's not who you are. Who you really are is in here. This right here just is a distraction. It's a diversion. Amen? Look, look, listen to me. Look in the mirror and see yourself as a reflection of Him. Amen? Yeah? Yeah? Everybody say Jesus is the truth. Of who I am. A treasure hidden doesn't lose its value, it only becomes hindered from fulfilling its intended purpose. Christ in you, the hope, the, joy, the joyful anticipation of good, of glory, doxa, a good opinion concerning one. That's what it means. He is the Father's good opinion towards us and then Jesus said the same glory you've given me I give to them the same doxa the same good opinion you have of me I give to them it's yours but do you know it do you not know again truth doesn't become truth the day you discover it but the freedom that that truth carry with it carries with it does you didn't invent truth the day you believed you simply unveiled the truth of what has always been You've always been loved. You've always been accepted. You've always been a son. A lost son is still a son. You are not the creation of your mother and father. You are the creation and the idea of God. That existed long before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. Long before that, you were in his. In his womb. Ephesians 1. The danger isn't being veiled, guys. The danger isn't being veiled, but believing that you can still see. Did you hear it? The danger is not in being veiled. The danger is in being veiled, but believing that you can see. AKA Pharisees. Last thing. Everybody say this. Say, I was worth it. You were worth it. Your salvation was beyond your own budget. The cross was the price that was paid in order to communicate and redeem the worth of our original value. Price negotiation only has leverage in a product that's defected. And when it came to redeeming mankind, there was no negotiation. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, 28, that no man builds a house without first counting the cost. He's illustrating what he did for us or what he would do for us. He counted the cost that it would take. To pay with his own blood for you. And when he got done calculating it all. When he calculated it all. His conclusion was that you were worth it. The value of any product is merely determined by the amount another is willing to pay for it. The blood is what determines your worth. Not your past. Not your current state. Your situation. Your struggle. Doesn't matter. The value of gold isn't diminished by how dirty it is. Its value remains constant regardless of its its outward condition. You are his love dream come true. You were not made. Amen. You were not made in the image of a fallen Adam. But rather remade. For the last Adam. Christ in the redeemed image and likeness of God. Paul says again. Do you not know? He says. In 1 Corinthians 13. I will know. Even as I am also known. Again the truth is. He's always known who you are. The question is what has blinded you from knowing what he has always known. Whatever the veil may be, the Father desires that you be unveiled to the truth of what he believes concerning your redeemed innocence in Christ. Contradiction to truth doesn't nullify it, it merely distracts you from it. Whatever your current experience is, it doesn't redefine or invalidate what he has firmly established in and through his finished work. Again, light isn't intended to expose darkness, but rather to dispel it. To make seen or known what darkness once kept hidden. Hmm. Last thing. The revelation of the gospel is not in what Adam did wrong. But in what Christ did right. All of Israel was redeemed in Egypt. Likewise all have been redeemed in Christ. Still, Still slaves. Again. He's talking in Athens to people who are still enslaved in bondage, redeemed, but still enslaved. You hearing it? You weren't redeemed the day you believed it, you were redeemed the day that blood splattered on the ground. You weren't made a new creation the day you believed it. You were made a new creation the day he got up out of that tomb. You weren't healed the day you believed it. You were healed the day the cat of nine tails ripped the flesh off of his body. Truth, again, does not become truth the day you believe it. it doesn't become truth the day you discover it. sir not believing it doesn't make it untrue. no sir I don't know if y'all didn't hear him not believing it doesn't make it untrue mm-hmm. that is true alright let's say a person does not believe Jesus raised from the dead make it not true. does that make no does that nullify it nope. Nope. no does it matter Truth doesn't need you to come in agreement with it for it to be truth. Truth is truth regardless of my awareness, agreement, belief, acknowledgement. Truth remains truth. Doesn't mean that that person who denies the truth is able to encounter the fullness of what that truth has accomplished for them They're just still blinded to it. Y'all hearing this? I don't know what that was. (laughs) (sighs) There was nothing wrong with his redemption, guys. It was perfect. But like in Egypt, the same chariots they were polishing at one point. Started to pursue them and yet they still had this. They started to have this desire to go back into the very place that he delivered them out of. Because they became used to slavery. Used to being told what to do every second of every day. It's the difference between law language and love language. <laughs> Y'all hear that? It's the difference between law language and love language. They were so used Love y'all. They were so used to being told what to do every second of every day. That's the law. They didn't even know what to do with the freedom that had been given to them. And then they asked for it again. Go back. Desire to go back under bondage, right? Overwhelm them rather than even with all the miracles that yep. were shown to them. That's right. They still wanted to look back. Yep. We There's a not tendency. Raised in all of Egypt, They mm-hmm. had to lead us out here. Yep. We had food, we had drink, we had. Yep. Yep. But you were crying, bondage. Yep. To be free. Now that you're free, you want to go back because it was goodbye. familiar. Yep. It's like a baby in the womb of a mother. Mm. While the baby is in the womb of a mother, it's in darkness. But while it's in the womb of the mother, it doesn't have to eat. It's just fed. Wherever the mother goes, the baby goes. Whatever happens to the mother happens to the baby. And when the baby comes out, again, first thing to be delivered is the mind. Last thing to be delivered is the feet. First thing is your thinking. Last thing is your walking. Right? Comes out, the umbilical cord is cut, normally by the father cut the cord right y'all seeing it and once that baby comes out that baby can no longer go back into the environment that it was birthed out of because if you try to go back into it it'll kill you the environment you once could survive in you can no longer survive in because you have now been brought into a place of freedom and if you try to go back into that it'll suffocate you water Hello, Red Sea. What, 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 what color sea? Red. Oh. Yeah. Y'all get it. See, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how all these things are just hidden right there in the Bible? He's trying to show you a picture of something. What's going to happen when he rebirths all humanity? And the only way it happens, sir?
1: Yeah. Yeah. To tell them it's like, like, yeah. How, before, like, to be yeah. That's right. We didn't
0: choose to be born. but we just were You didn't choose to be reborn. No. Mm-hmm. But you That's right. Right. This again, this is the challenges that people face is because again it's we think we have something to do. Again, I always tell people, if you had nothing to do with your natural birth, what makes you think you had anything to do with your supernatural rebirth? Nothing. It had nothing to do with it. You didn't do anything. He did it. The children of Israel have Egypt at their back, a red sea at their face, and the only way this thing is parting is by the obedience of one man. Stretching forth a rod, a type of the cross, and making way of deliverance. You're not getting out of this because of anything that you did. You got out of it because of everything that he did. And Brother Kerry, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name, man, that, not, that you won't be able to give it in the way that I would give it. You're going to give it in the way that only you can give it. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. Matter of fact, I want to pray that over every person here. Everybody throw your hands up right now because we're talking. You know, I'm going to tell you something, man. This is, this is really important because I believe this. I believe that when you begin to talk to people, and you begin to magnify Jesus and you begin to show them how magnificent Jesus is. That mouths will fly open and they're going to go, oh my goodness, I never knew he was this amazing. I've always known he was amazing, but I didn't know this about him. So Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you will fill the mouths of every person when they begin to speak. They're not going to do it as the way I would do it. They're going to do it in the way that you want to do it through them. You're going to speak through them in the way that only they can speak it. But at the end of the day, what matters the most is that Jesus is glorified in what they speak. Father, our heart and our desire is in everything we do to be about you. Let it be about you. Let every song we sing, let everything we say, let everything we do, let it magnify and point to you. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, for our co-burial. We thank you for our co-resurrection. We thank you for the union, Father, that we live in and we exist in and we have our being in you and through you because you are in us and we are in you and that we are one and there is no separation, no distance. All of that is canceled out in the incarnation. When God became one with his beloved creation as all of God and all of man embodied into one. We thank you that we have been brought into that place, not of anything we've done, but all because of what you have done for us as us and that is the truth of the gospel that the light has come. Light has come. The light has shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. It cannot overpower it. It can't subdue it because light is greater than darkness could ever be and we thank that darkness is being dispelled and everything that darkness has hid people from is being revealed and unveiled more so, more than anything, their beloved identity. Their beloved identity. Father, I pray that about every person in here that they become so aware of how beloved they are. No matter what religion has tried to avail them to and blind them to, that, that they become unveiled to how beloved that they really are. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Isn't he good? I think the rain came at a perfect time. (laughs) The rain came at a perfect time. That's okay. You you, you can go and just play. But as as y'all begin to, yeah, just go and play. We're going to close out with just her playing. Um, But uh, guys, today, I just bless you. Go out, go, go be with your family, love on each other, amen, and celebrate his resurrection and yours, and yours, amen. We love you. Be blessed. God bless you.